You're listening to the Business for Good podcast, the show where you'll hear inspirational stories about companies making money by solving some of the world's most pressing problems. I'm your host, Paul Shapiro, and I'm glad you've joined us. Welcome, friend, to episode number 117 of the Business for Good podcast. Wow, did that last episode blow up. I knew that I liked what the twin Mashuf sisters are doing at Ruby Labs by making textiles out of CO2, but boy, did you listeners like it a lot. It was, in fact, one of the most popular episodes we have ever done. We even added it to our homepage collection of fan-favorite episodes at businessforgoodpodcast.com. Since there are more than 100 back episodes, and I know how unlikely newcomers are to go back and listen to them all, despite the fact that nearly all are evergreen and awesome, we've got that list at businessforgoodpodcast.com of the most popular episodes ever, determined by the number of downloads. So if you want to just go by the wisdom of the crowd and check out some back episodes, you can at least go check out those back episodes. Will this episode also be a home run, you be the judge. Nearly none of the plastic that we use, even what gets thrown in the recycling bin, actually gets recycled. One reason for that is that plastic manufacturers often include additives in their plastics which enhance the performance of the material but reduce the recyclability of those plastics. But what if there were a natural additive that could mimic the performance improvements of conventional plastic additives while improving recyclability? That is what Made Right is betting on. The Israeli startup, founded in 2022, is growing mycelium, the root-like structure of fungi, to produce extracts that can be pelletized and sold to plastic manufacturers, improving both performance and sustainability. Anybody who knows me knows that I am a fungi fanatic, which is one reason I was so excited to speak with this young startup. Already, the company has raised 1.5 million U.S. dollars from some big names in consumer packaged goods. They've hired half a dozen team members, and they're making small amounts of their mycelial extracts as a proof of concept. Their CEO got the idea for such a company while living in Ethiopia and seeing families simply burning all their plastic waste to get rid of it. Why not make better plastics that could just be recycled or even composted, he wondered. And it would be even better if you could just grow the mycelium on industrial byproducts, making it even more sustainable, which Made Right says they are doing. The company is now focused on scaling up to bring this slice of, their, of the plastic pollution solution to the market And we've got their story for you right now. Rotam, welcome to the Business for Good podcast. Hi, Paul. It's really a pleasure to talk with you tonight. Today, tonight, different time zones. (laughs) It is always difficult trying to schedule any calls between Israel and California. Like Israel and the East Coast, no big deal. But Israel and California gets a little bit trickier. What's harder is actually California and like India because there is like stretching the limit. Yeah, you are going to the limit where basically you're going to be talking at 11 p.m. essentially. But anyway, it's great to talk with you. I am excited about what you're doing because I am a fungi fanatic like you are. And so I can't wait to talk more about fungi and what you're doing to harness the power of the fungi kingdom in order to try to do something good in the world. So let me just start from the beginning. Like, What got you interested in fungi? Because before you were doing this company, you were interested in mycology. So why? Like, why were you thinking, huh, this this interesting kingdom deserves my attention? How did the obsession take over my mind? It's a great uh, question. <laughs> you were you were zombified like a, yeah. um, you know, the, like the a, last a, of us. I haven't seen yeah. it, but I understood yeah. the, the, the jits of it. Um, yeah. 
So actually, I did a degree in biology in plants, and there was a small course about fungi and also connected to my natural experience of, of just seeing this organism, like through the actual mushroom caps in a forest and just not really like understanding what I'm seeing and, and curiosity. And then the, the more I delved into it really fast, I knew that this is what I want to explore. And where were these forests that you were looking at? Was this in Israel? Also, I lived all around the world. I was also in the States mm -hmm. and in Australia, but I did a long travel after I, I finished the army and I spent a lot of time in New Zealand. And over there, they have just a huge variety of, and all the different kinds of colors you can imagine, purple and blue, things that you just don't really understand the color as you see it seems like something synthetic, but it's just popping out of the moss in the forest. Nice. So then did that lead you to study mycology in particular, or were you just focused more generally on biology at this point? Uh, so that was my first degree. And then I continued to do my second in Weizmann Institute, specifically about mycology and uh, different aspects, material science and ecology, which I eventually delved into. And specifically, uh, their interaction with trees in the forest and, and the web that they're creating there. You know, I've seen, you know, for a number of years, people have been talking about the wood wide web and how mycelium is helping all these trees communicate with each other. But I've seen some studies lately, or at least some articles lately, questioning how true this is. Have you seen these same articles? Uh, I'm not sure. Like anything in science, there, there's... Uh, all of the the voices i would love you uh, if you could send but i'm not sure okay. what you're referring to okay well i'll include it in the show notes at businessforgoodpodcast.com but it, it it at least the allegation is that it's a little too it's a little too much of a nice story that it, it is not as as nice as it might have appeared but anyway i am really excited to talk with you about what you are doing to harness mycelium and how you're going to help save the world with it. So what happened, Rajam? Like you were in Ethiopia and first of all, why? Why were you in Ethiopia and what happened that led you to have this light bulb moment here? Mm -hmm. So between my degrees, I did a volunteering uh, in Ethiopia. I was, I wanted uh, to do my two bits and I found this beautiful organization to teach agriculture. And I was there three months. And while I was there, it's a country of 110 million people and they have no waste infrastructure whatsoever. It's, it's really crazy hmm. to, to see it. So they do, every family does a small plastic pile in front of their house at the end of every day and they burn it. I had to do it myself and just see it plastic burning all around. They don't have running electricity or water, but they have uh, plastic and cell phones. And that really kind of woke me up to the, to the reality. And I started uh, exploring this problem. And I saw that it's pretty much the same also in Western countries. It's either landfilled or incinerated. But I mean, so it's done behind uh, some, some wall, but it's really a worldwide, you could say, plague that we're uh, missing, that we're dealing with. And 
then through my my like what I saw essentially is a waste problem, right? And there is no waste in, in nature. It's a human invention. We invented this. And in nature, the fungi are the grand recyclers. So through my studies and experiencing this problem, that was the foundation of my passion towards meteorite. You referenced Western countries and what we're doing with plastic, Rotem. And I think it's, you know, for people to hear, well, in Ethiopia, families are burning their plastic garbage. People might think, well, that's a real shame. But of course, we have a better system here in the West. However, what you're implying is that actually we don't have much of a better system. So for people who think that their plastic is being recycled or in some way moved to some ecologically friendly new second life, what's happening? Like what's happening in these industrialized countries with their plastic? Like when you put trust, when you, when you're done with a single use plastic, what happens to it? Mm-hmm. So we're, we're really addicted to this material. I mean, look, anyone who's listening to this podcast right now would look right and left and everything is plastic. And that's fine because it's a wonderful material, but then it's wonderful for a long use and 40% of plastic is being used currently for single use, which is something that's not, not appropriately functioning because we're creating uh, a material that we use for a few moments and, and then leave uh, waste that would even be when our grandchildren die. So it's just ridiculous. And only from the entire waste that we do collect, only 10%, between 9 and 10, 10% is actually recycled, and even lower than that is utilized more than, than once. So effectively, it's not being recycled at all and, and not also composted. Right. So we speaking of composting plastic, we actually a few episodes ago had on another Israeli entrepreneur, Daf, Daf, um, Daphna Nissenbaum. From T- yes, from Tipa. And, you know, what they're doing is essentially trying to create plastics that are compostable, which is different, I think, from what you were doing it was more of like a, well, we'll get I'll let you describe what you're doing. But I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to hearing what what you're doing and and how it's different. But one of the points that Daphna made is that, you know, pretty much all the plastic that you use is going to landfills at best, right? Like even if you put it in the recycling bin, the chance of it being recycled is low. And if it is recycled, the chance of it being recycled again is low. And so essentially the plastic that we use is going almost entirely to landfills. And if not to landfills, then into marine waterways, which of course presents all types of horrible problems. And so all the plastic that we've ever used in our lives ever is going to exist hundreds of years from now. And I think about, you know, even just what I ate today so far, which I had, you know, a tortilla that came in a plastic, a plastic bag. I had hummus on the tortilla, which came in a plastic tub. I put in a bed of greens, which came in a plastic bag. I put in tofu, which came in a plastic tub. I put mustard on yeah. it, which came, which came in a plastic uh, jar. And so it's like everything. I mean, the microphone that I'm talking right now, the headphones, the computer, like the, the printer, everything near me is plastic, essentially. And it's all going to be here hundreds of years later. 
And you have a different idea about what to do with plastic, not to stop using plastic, but to change the way that we make plastic. So what was the idea? Like you didn't want to see it getting burned like you saw in Ethiopia right time. So what did you think you could do to actually create a different type of plastic industry? Great. Thank you for the question. So essentially, when we're now singling out the packaging, so it's a huge, huge world. It's a $1 trillion a market and we have all these different kinds of products that we package and for them you need different material solutions to give them a shelf life or this is what a package does right and when you explore this problem that you see that actually plastic is doing it really well to give a shelf life and sometimes better than glass and better than aluminum as far as the resources and the carbon footprint that it leaves so we zoomed in about into plastic and now there's a lot of different kinds of plastics. And when we're zooming even further into food packaging and cosmetics, so it's not really just one material. It's a cocktail of materials that are mixed together to create some kind of functionality as in a shelf life. So for example, something that would give the cheese the, the two weeks it needs, it's not the same as the cosmetic product product that needs two, three years. And these are, are called additives, additives that we add to plastic to give shelf life. And actually, we think, we believe that this is one of the biggest problems in this huge realm, because these additives are the ones that are disrupting recyclability. For example, one two of the most common used plastics, polyethylene and polypropylene, they're totally recyclable. But when you mix it up in, in this uh, cocktail of materials, some of which are disrupting the recyclability, and then it's hard to collect and distinguish, and you get just a whole bunch of different materials that you don't really know what's in there, then you have these really degraded plastics that don't really give a shelf life. So effectively, there's no market need for them. And then there's, there, there's, you see these low recycling rates. So what we do at Maidrite is we create biomaterial, a new biomaterial using fungi. We, like you, believe that they are our factory to the future. And we, in turn, think specifically for sustainable materials. And this additive is to be mixed with all these different kinds of plastics, fossil plastics and bioplastics, and give the shelf life the product need and not disrupt recyclability and not disrupt compostability. So just one last, where a low volume constitute of the package that gives the shelf life so basically what, what you're saying, and help me if I'm misunderstanding this, Rotem, is that uh, when, you think, when you think about plastic, like I, I just think about it as like fossil fuels that have been turned into plastic. You're saying there's other ingredients, though, that go in, and those make them less recyclable, not less compostable, but less recyclable. And you are going to grow- both. Both. Oh, both. Okay, interesting. And so what you want to do is create those additives from fungi, from mycelium, and essentially sell those as a B2B ingredient to the plastic manufacturers so that they can have plastics that are more easily recycled. Is that the is that an accurate assessment of the business model? Yes, exactly okay. so. Okay. Both so, recycled and, and composted. 
Interesting. Okay, so, cool. So, so for example, before you mentioned in the wonderful work that they do, they could enjoy such a product because today what they can choose with is only these petrochemical, these highly polluting fossil materials that are very expensive and do a lot of harm, not only in recycling, but also in manufacturing. Like all these titanium oxide and all, all these things that you would really be surprised that they put it in packaging and in food packaging, stuff that you don't really want there. Interesting. Okay, so what is it, right? Like you, you're making these pellets that you can sell to plastic manufacturers out of mycelium. So how do you do it? Obviously, I'm not asking you to divulge any trade secrets here, but from a general overview, like what is the actual product that you're making and how do you make it? So we mimic the same way that fungi act in nature. Like we said before, they're the ground recyclers. So we take industrial organic waste uh, from all different waste streams. It could be either food or agriculture or biotechnology. You can imagine uh, wood chips from Ikea, from their furniture making. Then we grow fungi on this waste and they eat it up and create biomass. And from that biomass, we extract our materials that we later integrate to create those pellets that you just mentioned. So are you using the whole mycelial biomass or are you taking extracts of that biomass to turn into these pellets? Different uh, extracts of, of it. And then what happens to the remaining biomass? Because we have a, a green um, process, it could either be used as compost or fermented again, uh, but it's uh, with no hazardous waste. Cool. So how, how much have you scaled this so far? Like it's still a relatively new company. You guys were founded in 2021. Uh, my understanding is you have oh, 2022, excuse me. Thank you for the correction. So how many folks are working there now? And like, how much have you scaled this mycelial fermentation process to the point where you know that this actually works and is a viable process? So we're a family of six and it's so wonderful and we're constantly growing. And now, currently, we're indeed in an early stage. We're optimizing our process. We think that we'll have a prototype of the product early next year. And in 2025, to to actually have a pilot facility, creating a couple of kilos. Uh, and from that, you can create a lot. A couple of kilos of, per, of product per month or per year or what? No, per month. Per month, okay. And then you ex the, a couple of kilos of biomass or a couple of kilos of the final pellets? Final. Okay, cool. No, actually, of the final pellets, I would say, like I said before, because we're a low constitute, the main constitute is, is different plastics out there, bioplastics and fossil plastics. We want to focus in on, on, on bioplastics, but there there's not a lot out there at the moment. Interesting. Okay, cool. Well, it's certainly exciting. So how much have you made so far? Like, how do you know it works? Like you're saying we want to have a prototype ready, but how do you know it works? Like, I presume you've already made some of this stuff and that you have added it to plastic. And what was that like? 
Exactly so. And then we tested it out and saw that it prolongs the shelf life. And now uh, we're optimizing uh, the process. We tested and, and saw that it has these properties. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. How much money have you guys raised? So you've tested it, you have shown that it works, and then you present that data to the investor class, and they have then invested in your company. Obviously, you got half a dozen people working there, and you're still pre-revenue. So how much money has MadeRight earned an investment so far? A million and a half dollars. Okay. Well, that's a good that's a good size for a for a company as early stage as what you guys are doing. So first, congratulations on your successful fundraising. Are these investors who are these investors who are typically looking at plastics or are they investors who are interested in sustainable foods? Like what is who, what's the type of investor who would look at MadeRight and think that's where I want that's the company I want in my portfolio? Uh, our our lead investor is Fresh Start, uh, the wonderful incubator sitting in the north of Israel. And they're a biotechnological incubator that focuses on food tech and, and the different biotechnological companies like us as well. And they're led uh, from in- industry partners, Tnuva and Tempo and Our Crowd and Finister, uh, which is our crowd, uh, a lot of people know, is a is a global uh, VC, and Nuva and Tempo are, are actually food companies in Israel. So, like we hope in in the future, we can provide them the packaging that they need in order to not only create great food but also have it not create huge amounts of waste. Yeah, well, that's great. So congratulations on bringing on these very big names in the food industry into the cap table so early on. That's definitely exciting. You've said in other interviews that, you know, when you're looking at plastics, that often you see a trade-off between performance and sustainability, that you can have performance or you can have sustainability, but you're generally not going to have both. So you're trying to solve for that problem. What is the trade-off, generally speaking? Like, what are the performances? What are the performance attributes that can be hampered by certain types of sustainable materials that you're seeking to correct here? So the, the main ingredient in the cocktail is is either a bioplastic or a fossil plastic. So bioplastics are plastic made from sustainable materials that that we can make again and again and not drill in the ground and, and finish all our resources. And the, these, these plastics, they give that mechanical properties. Uh, but then that means like how flexible it is or, or whatever. But then also a lot of the times you need to block from the outside environment. You can imagine the, the coffee packaging that you have a lot of the time. It's a plastic and some kind of, aluminum or whatever so these attributes these these materials are giving the performance as in the shelf life to to the package and uh these aspects what make the products a lot of the times not sustainable either because their their source is entirely from fossil fuels or if i went through the entire trouble of making this wonderful plastic that's made from corn or bacteria or algae or whatever, then to actually satisfy the industry needs, their performance needs, that means a shelf life, they have to be mixed with these fossil material, these fossil additives. 
And this is creating this trade-off between sustainability and, and performance. And by utilizing mycelial extracts, you think that you can get the best of both worlds then, presumably, that you can get the performance without the sustainability downsides that you were just referring to. Exactly. Interesting. Okay, cool. Well, I, I can't wait to see it and feel it and, and touch it and hold it. So I hope that when you guys start producing those kilograms per month that uh, I'll get to try some plastic that is utilizing it. But let me ask you, Rotem, like you were doing something very different. You know, you were basically studying science and biology and so on. And now you're acting as a CEO of a small startup. So what's changed in your life? Like, you know, does, do you find that the skill sets that you studied in school were useful for you to be a CEO of a company? Or did you have to learn most of what you're doing now while on the job? Definitely while on the job, it's like everybody says it's endless roller coaster. And this is, I mean, you, ha you have to, to want to suffer a bit, I guess, to be a founder of a company. And that's like the basics of your personality, I guess. It's really intense and I love it. It's what makes it for me interesting. And yeah, sorry, go ahead. You mentioned that it's a roller coaster that you have to want to suffer. So what do you think is the ratio of days in which your suffering is greater than your elation or your elation being greater than your suffering? Wow, good question. I mean, I think for me, it, it's, it's, it's a lot greater the good, but it's, it's just constantly throwing you, uh, you, you know, kind of like those balls that you throw in the room and then they go all directions. So it really depends on the moment, but it's definitely for now good. <laughs> What's been the hardest part of it for you so far? Is it the fundraising, the management, trying to advance the science? Like what's the actual difficulty for you with most days? So I would say the fundraising, it's not necessarily hard, but it is the, the, the circumstances where you find yourself under constant glass looking into everything you say and that's fine this is the investor's job to understand how deep you know something and ask good questions but just that the, the general theme is always to undermine kind of what you're saying so it, i do love it because it also allows me to share what we're doing and a lot of people get really excited and really love what we're doing Oh, that's the theme cool. of it, the theme of it, I would say, that's the, the difficult part. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it is the investor's job, but it is difficult because these investors are oftentimes generalists, whereas you are a specialist on your topic. And so there is a some level of difficulty of trying to get through like what you are completely obsessed with and you're devoting all of your waking hours to to somebody who is seeing, you know, literally maybe a hundred pitches or more a month and they are just a generalist on a, a variety of topics as opposed to being a specialist, let's say in this case on plastics or uh fungi fermentation and, and so on. Uh so I get what you're saying. Uh, you know, the head with the crown is always the heaviest, but I think an effective CEO can help to distill the basics of what the company is doing and why it's valuable to people even who don't have an expertise in, in that particular field. And so I hope that as you continue to uh, grow the company and raise more investor capital, that you'll find great success in, in doing that. But for now, Thank let you. me just, <laughs> yes, you're welcome. Let me ask you though, you know, 
you have done a number of things. You've lived in a lot of places and you're now embarking on this entrepreneurial journey where hopefully you will be wildly successful. But I presume that there have been some resources for you, right, Tim, that have been useful in your own journey in starting this company and now growing it to a half dozen team members and hopefully going even further. So are there any particular things that you would recommend to other people that have been helpful for you where you would say, hey, check this out because it was useful for me? Yeah, definitely. First of all is create a network of people that you can take advice from. That's the basics of how we grow as a network, similar to the mycelial way or just humanity and societies, right? Don't be alone and don't be afraid to ask questions. And then like we spoke before, there's a lot of different things that you have to learn while you go. And at the end of the day, either it's a customer or an investor or your employee, we're all just humans and we all kind of tick the same. So there's a few books that I really with me for this journey. One is the, the influence of the psychology of persuasion. I can send the link. And it's just talking about how we are all uh, being affected by these same principles. Right. I, I think it's really uh, unknown. And, mm-hmm. and the second, yeah, you well, want to say? Yeah, I just want to comment. So I, I love that book and we'll include a link to it in the show notes at businessforgoodpodcast.com. But one thing I particularly love about it is that people who read it, you realize how subject to these types of influences we all are. Like no matter how smart you are, no matter how much you know, like we're still human, like you said, and we still are influenceable by the same things, generally speaking. And so even reading the book, you realize like you are being influenced in lots of ways. Even once you realize the methods of influence, you're not free from them. Like you still are influenceable as a human, but it's a great book. We'll link to it. And what's, what's the other one? An NLP practitioner. So it's kind of a mindfulness and it's a place where you can convert more of those really eager, annoying, oh my God, I hate this day moments to, okay, it's, uh, it's, it's a journey. Okay, cool. We will certainly put that in the show notes as well for folks who want to check that out. So finally, Rotham, let me ask you, you are obviously committed to Made Right for some time to come. Hopefully, you'll be doing this for many years to come. But I'm sure that you have lots of ideas for different types of companies that you would like to see exist. So if there's somebody listening to you right now who is thinking, oh, that's really cool what he's doing. I want to maybe do something like that, or I want to go on a similar journey. What ideas would you throw out there? Do you hope that somebody else will create a company to do while you are doing Made Right? Yeah, I would love, love to comment on that. So actually, um, most of where um, money is going in startups is not towards material or hard tech companies. It's going towards software because that's where there's a lot of returns like cyber and fintech. And and that's fine. But actually, a lot of our big problems today uh, are in climate tech. And these are hard problems. And I mean, in the sense that they're material problems. And I would urge anyone curious or believing in an idea that could help us make more sustainable materials. 
I think it's through fungi, but there's a bunch of different organisms that we could use and kind of integrate how we would want to keep our high life standards without ruining the planet and shooting ourselves while we're doing it and just go for it. I mean, when's a better time than, than now? We need it. We really need, like I could dive into the plastic problem in the value chains and I can say a lot of specifics, but actually it's all different materials that we consume around us. It's excellent advice. Uh, I am in total concert with you, Rotem. I, I just I hope that many people will be starting companies to focus on climate tech and materials and food and so on, because these are what are helping to drive uh, the problem, the, the hole that we have dug for ourselves. So what your advice is reminds me of uh, somebody who I considered a mentor in high school. His name is Coleman McCarthy, who uh, founded the Center for Teaching Peace, and he's a former Washington Post columnist. And he always used to say, for anybody who wants to make a difference in the world, there's only one word that you need to remember. And that word is start. Don't mm-hmm. wait. The problem will get worse. So you better start now and start focusing on it. So I'm glad that you're focusing on trying to create better plastics, Rotem. Can't wait to see the company grow and to see made right plastics out on the market. And we'll be following your journey and I'll be rooting for your success. Thank you so much, Paul. Thanks for listening. I hope you found it useful. And if you did, please let the world know. Leave the show a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app and share the episode with your friends. Who knows? Maybe you'll inspire one of them to be in the business of doing good themselves.